On today's Fantasy Baseball in 15, we'll look at the fantasy impact of Eloy Jimenez's pectoral injury. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three cold brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, March 26th. I'm Al Melchior, and with me for this end-of-the-week podcast is Derek Van Riper. And DVR, bad, bad news uh, for Eloy Jimenez, uh, going to miss, uh, at best, three-quarters of the season uh, due to a ruptured left pectoral. Um, so I guess, you know, there's lots of different angles to look at here, but... Um, uh, the, the place I guess we start is, is there any scenario where he is worth stashing? In leagues where we have unlimited IL spots, I think you could definitely justify using one of your last picks on Jimenez and then putting him on IL when your first waiver opportunity occurs and just waiting and seeing if he comes back, right? There's no real penalty to that. Um, usually your last pick is someone you'd be dropping during the season at some point anyway. So the opportunity cost is pretty low. Um, but I think in leagues where you have limited IL spots, he's probably undraftable in most mixed leagues. I would say maybe in AL-only formats, just a month of anybody who plays a lot could be worth waiting on in leagues that deep if you could afford to stash a player away. The good news, or the silver lining, I guess we'll call it, uh, Dr. Jesse Morse, who writes a lot about sports injuries on Twitter, had a thread and if it were a labrum problem with Jimenez's shoulder, the long-term concerns would be much greater. So it's an unfortunate injury for Jimenez. Obviously, it's a significant blow to the White Sox offense. It's disappointing if you already drafted him for fantasy purposes. But if we, as we look long-term for his recovery and we think about you know keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, all the long-term implications, he should be able to recover from this easier than an injury that you know also could have occurred in that same play. Well, yeah, there's there's a silver lining there, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, a big blow to the White Sox for 2021 and to anyone who is, uh, has drafted him already. So uh, that's you know certainly a more positive uh, angle that we can look at this from. And then, of course, there's the angle of uh, who are the White Sox going to uh, replace him with and who are we going to replace him with in fantasy. So uh, from the White Sox perspective, uh, Adam Engel is not going to be an option for at least two more weeks, possibly as many as four more weeks, because he's been out with a hamstring strain. Andrew Vaughn's going to get a look in left field against the Brewers on Friday. So obviously he's part of that equation now, but he was going to be in the lineup no matter what. So putting aside the question of where Vaughn actually plays for the White Sox, who's going to fill the the lineup void? Um, do you have any insight or uh, any inkling as to who might get that bid? If it's internal options, Lurie Garcia looks like a guy that would play a lot more with all the shuffling. I mean, if they have Vaughn playing some left field, they would have more of a floating DH situation. So they could play the matchups, give Garcia some starts. Um, They could give someone like Zach Collins a little bit of playing time if they believe in his bat, at least against right-handed pitching. Uh, Nick Williams is kind of buried in the depth chart there. Maybe there's a chance he makes the roster now. And then there's Nando DeFino favorite Yermin Mercedes also tucked away there. Maybe he could get some DH at bats 
if they don't go outside the organization. I saw a lot of people speculating that you know one of Ryan Braun or Yasiel Puig or Ioannis Cespedes could be uh, fits for Chicago. And then we saw some uh, whispers earlier in the day on Thursday that Mike Talkman is a guy that the Yankees are, are considering moving. So I don't know if the solution is on the roster yet. And even if there is one player who's going to play a bit more, it might be one player kind of sharing that role with several others until they address the need. And, and fortunately, you know, finding left field help is relatively easy of all the things you could need in late March. There are at least some options out there for the White Sox to consider. So of all the options, we've named several. Uh, so, you know, seven or eight between internal and external options. Is there anybody that would potentially be fantasy relevant uh, and maybe even be a, you know, a waiver wire replacement for somebody who's now got to scramble and get an extra outfielder? I don't think any of those options I mentioned are necessarily on my radar. I do think Lurie Garcia for AL only leagues gets enough of a bump where I would probably change my valuation of him there. Uh, otherwise, I'm looking to other teams, looking to situations that have been in flux, hoping to find an outfielder lined up to play more than expected. Uh, you know, in more shallow mixed leagues, Randall Gritchick should play a little more than we expected with George Springer IL bound to begin the season. So I, I would say he's probably a good power option, but a very temporary one because once Springer's back, we know that Gritchick's probably going to fall more into a three or four start per week sort of role. So, you know, that could be a fluid uh, situation, uh, kind of a, a rotation that you would have in that outfield spot initially until you find somebody that sticks, maybe a prospect that gets called up or somebody who gets hot in April. So, uh, you know, no need to panic over that. And I've made that mistake, by the way, <laughs> with these early season or spring training injuries. It's not a mistake that you uh, you want to make. So, uh, well, you know, we're not quite to opening day just yet, DVR. Uh, and so, of course, right now in The Athletic, we've got lots of uh, columns and tools to, to help you prepare for the upcoming drafts this weekend. And one of the columns that's uh, come out in the past week is uh, our annual My Guys column. So a uh, handful of the staff writers, including myself, uh, we picked two players, one hitter, one pitcher that we have been drafting a lot or maybe are planning to draft a lot in the upcoming drafts. So. I chose Mike Yastrzemski and Josh Lindblom because I've already drafted both of them in several leagues. And I'm really interested. I'm glad to have the opportunity to do this episode with you, DVR, uh, for all things brewers that I need to know. I was a little concerned about Lindblom as a pick. I mean, I, I love the... The, the, the sleeper aspect of his appeal coming into this year with, you know, really underperforming his peripherals in 2020. But it's, it's a crowded rotation situation, especially with Freddie Peralta now in that mix. So how do you see Lynn Bloom fitting into that? And roughly how many starts do you think he does wind up making this year? You know, I think if I set the over under at 11 and a half, I'd probably take the over for Lynn Bloom starts. I think he can give them some length. I think the, Arrival of Freddie Peralta in the rotation doesn't necessarily send Lindblom to the bullpen. Adrian Hauser is one of those guys who I think is on relatively thin ice. I think if he had a bumpy start to the season, he could end up in a relief role. I think Brett Anderson's had a really difficult time staying healthy, so he could be a guy that's projected to make a lot of starts who doesn't end up making a lot of starts. So I'm not panicking from a workload perspective yet. I mean, with Lindblom, we know he was working on his biggest flaws, trying to maximize his spin efficiency this offseason. It was something he shared publicly, which was, I thought, pretty interesting and pretty cool that he did that. Um, so I, I think you're getting, at the very least, 
a pretty cheap source of strikeouts. You're getting a guy on a good team, and you're getting a guy that, if he's not necessarily starting every fifth day, might be getting enough bulk innings to still be valuable in deeper mixed leagues and NL only leagues. So I do think there is a few ways, or there are a few ways that Josh Lindblom could make value this year. Uh, but Mikey Stremski, I mean, you brought him up as your guy on the hitting side. No one seems to love him relative to what he's done as a hitter so far. I think there are people that believe in him at the price. Uh, is there any reason, are there any skills flaws that you found looking into his profile that make you believe we should pump the brakes on some of the, the per-game production we've seen since he landed in San Francisco? Well, I definitely buy the power. We've seen enough of that now. I think he may have overachieved a bit in batting average, and the projection systems definitely seem to agree with that. But, you know, even if you look at a more conservative estimate of what kind of batting average he might produce, he's still basically like a top 35 outfielder going into this year. So I do think that there's potential upside in batting average beyond what he's being drafted at. Um, I'm not necessarily counting on that, but I don't think the floor is any lower than what he's being projected for, and the ceiling's considerably higher. But what I wrote in the piece, DBR, is that why I think I keep winding up with Yastrzemski because it's not like he was like one of my big off-season guys. Like, oh, the you know the uh, the value here is just incredible, but it's just that he's in a cohort in terms of ADP in the outfield where everybody's really risky. <laughs> so there's you know Tommy Pham and. Uh, I think Byron Buxton's in that cohort and Kyle Lewis, who I don't completely trust at this point. But I mean, there's just a, a number of outfielders going, kind of going in the 30 to 40 range that either because of inconsistency and experience or an injury history aren't particularly trustworthy. And Yastrzemski, even though his track record is relatively limited, I think he's the safest one in the bunch. Yeah, he definitely could be. I mean, if you look back at 2019 and 2020 combined, he's got a 135 WRC plus over that span, a 281, 357, 535 line. Doesn't steal bases, but at that point, you're just looking for a guy who's locked in to the heart of a batting order. The power looks steady. Oracle Park has played differently going back to last year. Maybe it doesn't completely hold all the changes from a year ago, but it should be more hitter-friendly than it's been in the past because of some park dimensions changes there. Uh, I don't really worry about anybody taking his job, so I, th I think unless he goes into a multi-month slump, he's going to be there anchoring that Giants lineup. So it's all positive for me. I, I think if it does go wrong for him, it's just because maybe somebody's eventually like pushing him for some platoon at bats or something. But I think he's pretty stable at the price. I think he's a guy that people are overlooking just because he's a late bloomer. Yeah, I think that's a part of it as well. So, uh, yeah, I've, uh, wound up with him in, uh, three leagues already still with, uh, one draft to go, uh, actually tonight. So, um, so who are you winding up with a lot? You know who lately I've been getting a lot is Tristan McKenzie. Like, I mean, everyone knows I like Victor Robles and Freddie Peralta. I talk about them all the time. But Tristan McKenzie, I think, is ending up on all of my teams in the last couple of weeks. And I think part of it is that I'm not not overspending early on starting pitching. So then I'm loading up on mid-range options. So in auctions, we're talking about guys that go for 10 bucks or less. In a snake draft, we're talking about pitchers that go after probably pick 150 overall. I'm just finding that group of pitchers to be a bit of a sweet spot for me where I feel like I'm getting ceiling and I'm actually getting decent floor in some cases as well. McKenzie is probably of interest to me because I think the stuff is legitimately good, but he's also in an organization that has developed a, a strong trust with all of us in terms of how they develop pitching. 
Uh, I think you look at the starting point for him compared to some of the other guys they've developed. McKenzie is beginning at a higher level than someone like Shane Bieber, right? There's a better core set of pitches to work with. Doesn't mean he'll be better than Bieber, but I think it gets you really excited about the possibilities. Uh, clearly, there's some concern about him holding velocity. He is a, a very thin pitcher and, and one who lost velocity over the course of the shortened season. So how well he holds on to that as 2021 unfolds will likely shape a lot about just how effective he is. But I do think his secondary pitches are good enough where they could mix it up. They could have him throw a lot of curveballs, a lot of changeups, a lot of sliders to get hitters off the fastball at the velos not there. So Tristan McKenzie wasn't necessarily one of my guys back in December and January, but he's definitely become one of my guys here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, and sticking with that Cleveland rotation, somebody who was one of my guys back in December and January was Aaron Savali. Uh, I think I've wound up with him on two teams, but I'm a little surprised that he's not somebody who's kind of plastered all over my rosters at, the, at this point. Maybe I will get him in my draft tonight. And uh, if I recall, I think you got him in your tout team as well. Did, did you not? Yeah, and if you're going to have uh, multiple starters from one team, Cleveland's not a bad choice. You got some pretty generous landing spots in division. Uh, and that track record that I mentioned before. And Savali, I think, was working on a splitter this spring, so I'm kind of curious to see if it's a pitch that he trusts enough to actually throw it when the games begin to count. I think where he's going, he makes a ton of sense in drafts this year. So I'm in. I, I think he's worth considering. Uh, Jamison Tyon, I think just being healthy and, and looking good this spring has kind of opened my eyes to him in that same range. So he's kind of finding his way onto more of my rosters than I expected, but I definitely needed to see where he was at this spring before I started taking those chances in that price range. Yeah. Well, unfortunately at this point we have that luxury. So that's uh, that's a good thing. And it's weird to think that DVR, the next time uh, we come to you here on this podcast, it's going to be the week of opening day. So I am getting excited. I know you all out there are getting excited. And on that note, we are going to wrap up this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you are enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, you know that we do greatly appreciate it when you take the time to do that. And also, please be sure to check out Ding You, presented by BetMGM. It's our March Madness show. Listen to the Daily Ding podcast feed or watch the show on YouTube. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melchior, and we will see you here again on Monday. <laughs>